Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I'm so glad y'all are here. We want to welcome all the new people and then just thank everyone for coming back and be sure and tell your friends about our podcast. Today, we have a fabulous guest. I know I say this every time, but I just get so excited about bringing these guests to you and bringing all of their information to you. But before we get started, you know, I just have to tell you my little story of the day. So I yesterday was just thinking about why do we continue to give our kids things that we need to limit? I don't know. It just doesn't seem, doesn't seem like a good parenting thing to do. And it's just sort of a big picture. I just want you to think about this a minute. And, and maybe, maybe you can think of some things. And if you can, email me and let me know. But I'm trying to think, what other things in life do we give our kids that we have to monitor and limit? Like we don't have to limit Legos, right? We don't have to limit cleaning the bathroom, honey. You can only clean the bathroom one time a week, right? Or we, we're not limiting exercise or how about reading a book? Oh, you can only read one book a day. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, what are these things that we do with our kids that we feel like we have to limit? Because why are we letting our kids on so much screen time, you know, knowing that we have to limit it? I don't know. It was just a parenting thought I had. I just want you to think about it, that maybe the things that we have to limit are the things that, you know, we just shouldn't offer. I don't know, just just a thought, because there's so many parenting struggles around screen time. And it just seems like there's so many different opinions out there. And the answer to all this really isn't very hard. We just don't need to let our kids do things that we have to keep them from doing. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but I just had that thought today. And Yesterday, I kept thinking, last night, I kept thinking, well, maybe there is something that we should let our kids do that we have to limit. But so far, I haven't come up with anything yet. But I know that this month, we are talking a lot about schools and screens. Because here we are, I can't believe it, summer's over. We're having to deal with this issue again. I remember last, uh, the end of the school year, a few months ago, when school was over, we were so relieved, weren't we, that virtual school was done. Like we were so over it. We were so ready for our summer. I had so many emails and in our Facebook group, people were talking about, yay, it's summer. We don't have to worry about this. Well, guess what? It's here again. And we have to start thinking about what we're doing. We have a fabulous guest today. He is the co-author of the book of the month, Screen Schooled. And his name is Joe Clement. Welcome, Joe, to our show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So glad you're here. Give us just a real quick bio, and then we're going to jump into some really great topics. Uh, first of all, again, thanks for having me. This is a great opportunity. It's a great topic. And I was thinking as you were talking, you're right. It's only things that you, that I guess aren't good for kids that we give them that we have to limit, like desserts. Right. You know, right. Whatever dessert is the only thing that jumped into my mind, but yeah, <laughs> we give our kids desserts, but you know, but it's always not every meal, right? Right, 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 and and, and it's you got to limit the amount and so on. Anyway, um, my name is Joe Clement, and I've been a teacher. This is my twenty eighth year as a classroom teacher. I've taught in um, 
four different high schools, all high school grades, English language learners, uh, special, special education, advanced placement, honors classes, regular classes, taught 11 different subjects. I've coached two different high school sports and I've coached a bunch of youth sports for my own kids. I have uh, three kids. One is 22. He's just starting grad school this month and uh, an 18-year-old who's starting college this month. And then I have a, a seven-year-old who's starting second grade. So my my parenting is kind of, you know, I've, I've kind of seen it being a parent before uh, smartphones was a, you know, were a real issue. And then they were kind of a, a, you know, a big issue for my 18-year-old. And then, you know, the, the whole world that my, my daughter sees is everybody's on their phone all the time. She, of course, doesn't have a phone, but I've seen it definitely change over the last, uh, over, you know, since I've been a parent, 22 years. I just love talking to you because you are in the school with kids all day. And, you know, there are some parents at homeschool, of course, and that's fabulous. And then there's some parents like me who send my kids off to school. And as a teacher there, you see more than, of course, I see, because I just see them in the morning. I see them when they come home. But you see all the dynamics. So one of the dynamics that we as a culture are actually seeing, and I want to get your take on this. One of the things that culture is, that we're seeing in the culture right now is this increased mental health issues. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. remember a time, you know, when this was such a big topic and especially, you know, there's a lot of mental health issues, of course, with adults going on, but let's focus today on teens and school age kids, I guess, not just teens, but school aged kids and the mental health concerns. Talk about that and then also talk about it, how it relates to COVID. Sure. Well, the first thing is that what I see in the classroom is, you know, what parents are seeing at home and, and, and the research is, uh, that's out there is all saying the same thing that we're seeing an, essentially an epidemic of anxiety, depression, suicide among school age kids. Something's wrong. We know that obviously things aren't, aren't going well. It's a tough day. We, Matt and I always talk about the, the fact that it's a tough time to be a kid. One of the things that's supposed to make it easier, but that is is for sure making it harder, is the amount of time that kids spend immersed in a, a digital world. And you you think because what you hear from technology advocates and and particularly in schools, the educational technology advocates, you hear the word connect all the time. Well, kids need to connect, and kids need this, you know, and that's and that is exactly right. Kids do need to connect, but they don't. <laughs> that's you know. I mean, social media. I mean, could there be a, a more erroneous term than social media? They don't need more time looking at TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, and and we're you know you see it all day long in uh, in schools, and it's it's uh, it's terrifying that that we are encouraging kids to spend more of their day doing it. Well, talk about your your typical day. I mean, because we're not there, right? We can't see it. We send our kids off to school. We don't really know what's happening. And that's what I love about your book. You really go through and describe sort of a typical day in the life, you know, of a kid. But just for a minute, talk about what that looks like. Like in the morning, you get there. Are kids in the hallway talking? Are they socializing? Are they just head down? Like I said, I've been teaching for 28 years. So in the, in the first part of my career, the, the worst thing, you know, or the thing that we that we all you know planned for and and you know tried to try to have mitigation strategies was if you had any downtime. You know, if you didn't if you didn't have 
a full class of instruction, you were asking for just chaos, kids to be running around and so on and so forth and screaming and yelling and whatever else. The terrifying part to me about school now is that while it's quieter, it's too quiet most of the time. Um, And so you come in in the morning and yes, of course, kids are talking and greeting one another. But what you'll see very often, whereas kids used to stand around their locker and, you know, in the morning, just whatever, talk about the day or what, you know, was on TV last night or their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, they now will stand and, and, and the ones who are talking almost exclusively are talking about their, one of them, if there's a group of three or four kids, one of them is holding up a phone and they're all watching a YouTube video or a TikTok or, or whatever. So it's almost always about something that's screen related. And, and, and what that's done is replaced. Well, let me hear how your day is going and you tell me, you know, something and I'll tell you something. And they're no longer interacting with each other. It's just interacting with whatever's on the screen, even when there's two or three of them together and they're talking or laughing or whatever. That's one of the problems is it, is it can kind of look normal, but it's really not. If you think about what's, what's happening and, and what, they're, what they're not doing. That is such a great point. That is why, well, I mean, what you just said, it looks like they're being social, but they're not doing the work of being social, which is that volley back and forth. How are you? I heard your dad was sick. Is he okay? How are you? How is your cat? I heard your cat was sick. I don't know. You know, all these different things back and forth that you ask someone about their personal life. That's a really good point. It's taken, it's, it's not personal anymore. It's, it's all on who the influencer of the month is on one of these platforms. Correct. You, you said an important phrase. You said doing the work of these things. And so one of the things, I and mean, one of the main things that they you know, learn when they come to school is how to interact with one another. And that takes practice. You will rarely hear, I mean, even, you know, when, when we were kids, you know, you wouldn't hear kids walk up to each other and say, so tell me, how are you doing? Like, it's not something, you know, a kid would necessarily say to one another, but what they miss is, you know, we'll, we'll be just talking. It's a group of high school boys together or whatever, high school girls together. Somebody makes a joke about, you know, whatever, something somebody's wearing. And you don't mean, let's say, for it to be a mean joke, but you see, like, let's say this is back 10, 20 years ago, the kid would say it and and just think they were being funny. And then they would see the other kid's face fall and look sad. And they would go, oh, I see that I have hurt that person's feelings. And whether they said something or not, they would understand that I've I've kind of crossed a line here socially. Our kids anymore don't seem to get that. And, and there's a whole bunch of research about the lack of empathy and the lack of ability to recognize emotion and other people's body language and, and their face and the sounds that they make and so on. And that's that's one of the things that you miss when you're if everybody's just standing around looking at a video together, you're not really you're not you're really practicing do as you said doing the work of the, yeah the interaction and that practice as we know just from the neuroscience that those particular activities and actions like picking up on someone's hurt facial expression those all activate certain pathways in your brain and so when those pathways are left dormant over time, they wither and dry up and go away. So it, you know, we're not trying to sound like we're fear mongering here, but it is absolutely critical that your kids learn these social skills now when they're kids, because Mm -hmm. it 
it's very difficult. And this is why I think a lot of people end up in counseling later because they, they kind of screwed up their childhood somehow, right? I mean, they didn't do yeah. the work that needed to happen in childhood. You know, the, the other thing that you were just describing is really important. It is just because, of course, I have four kids. You have three kids, you know. It's very awkward for kids to learn how to do this. And as adults, we think, what do you mean? You just go talk to the person. You just go make eye contact. You ask them a question. Or even, right. even if you're in a store, the grocery store, you know, where's the flower? You know, you go ask them. But for a child and even teenagers, it's just so awkward. And yeah. I mean, can you explain why? Because I think that really relates back to this mental health, these risk factors that, that we're kind of unpacking here. I mean, not being social is a huge risk factor for mental health problems. But why is that so awkward? Explain what happens at this stage of development that makes that awkward. Yeah, it's a, that's an, an interesting question. I think a lot of it goes back to what we were just talking about, the, the lack of practice. Like if you're not practicing these things and, you know, you gave the example of where's the flower or whatever in the grocery store, just those really should be very low stakes interactions become these unsurmountable obstacles for kids. And they are increasingly, that's another thing that I've noticed in terms of uh, student behavior, they're increasingly unwilling to take any sort of risk. And, and that's where, you know, we're talking about the social risks, but it, it plays into the rest of their school day. They're, they're unwilling to take intellectual or academic risks. If I ask what's, you know, what's the impact of the 14th Amendment on this particular group of people or whatever, as a group of adults, if you've got an idea about that, you know, you likely would chime in or whatever. Uh, students today are, the, the fear of being wrong is, is terrifying. It's, it's just terrifying to kids. And they, and, and part of it is because they know that, People will post about them or something either that they said or what they were wearing or whatever. And so the, there's this huge, huge obstacle I think kids see when they when it comes to just something like asking a question in class. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and we still have, of course, kids that that'll ask questions, but the discussions are much harder to get going, you know, in the last five, six, eight years than they than they were. And without that. Q&A in the classroom, the learning is affected or the teaching is affected because you learn so much when someone asks a good question. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That, as, a, as a teacher, I just, I, you know, especially as a veteran, and you, you kind of get set in your ways. I, you don't have any idea how what you're saying is going over until they start asking questions. You know, I'm, I can yammer on about something or have them do some activity or answer some answers, write, you know, write some answers to questions or whatever. But until somebody says, hey, I didn't really get the part where you said blah, blah, blah. Oh, all right. Now I know there's a disconnect between the, the words that I'm saying and the way that they're perceiving it. But, you know, without questions, you're lost. You're just kind of you're flying blind in the classroom. And, you know, kids aren't willing to ask when they're not willing to talk. It's it's a pretty stagnant environment intellectually. And it, and it all builds because if they're not willing even to talk to their friends, then of course they're not going to be willing to raise their hand and talk in class, right? Correct. So yep. it, it starts with, you know, these low levels of, of risk, right? These little, these little risks, I guess, of being able to stand in the hallway and talk to your friends that gives you the confidence to then get in the classroom at first period and raise your hand and ask the question. But if you're right. not even able to do that when you walk in, you know, during the school day here, and you're, you're so nervous, I feel like that they are very nervous. And I want all the parents out there to think about what it might be like. Just think about this for a minute. If I were to say, okay, in 10 minutes, I'm going to be at your house, and I'm going to 
look through your closet and make fun of your clothes. And I'm going to look in your refrigerator and talk about how poorly your eating habits are. And I'm going to go to your den and say, you know, your TV is too big and whatever. I mean, you would be offended. You would not want me in your house. You would close up. You would feel anxious. You would be stressed. You would feel bad. And, and yet this is what our kids are exposed to every single day on their group texts and on their social media. They're being exposed. Right. And so that fear of being exposed is affecting them even the minute they walk into the school day. For sure. Really sad. So this is such a great discussion. So what ha- let's just take our student through the day here. So they get there in the morning. They're laughing about somebody's TikTok video, but they're not. But nobody really is asking them about something deep or important that happened to them in the last 24 hours, you know? So when a kid comes to school, maybe something really bad did happen at home or some unfortunate thing happened or something happy happened, but nobody's talking about it. All right. So now they go into the classroom. Do you see, do you see issues with cheating? Do you see issues with distractions like in the classroom? Let's walk through the school day here a minute. So what happens when they get in the classroom? We already said they're not asking questions. So that's one thing. Yeah. So yes to everything you said in terms of being distracted and cheating and and whatever else. One of the things I want to be clear about is um, neither Matt nor I would ever blame kids for for this. Because certainly when I was in high school, if you had given me a, a an infinite entertainment advice uh, device, I would, I would for sure have chosen to look at that rather than listen to, uh, you know, Mrs. Gabriel teach me geometry or whatever. It was, you know, it's like the perfect storm. It's a recipe for disaster. You've got these brains that are, that are developing this inability to control their impulses. They, they can't delay gratification and they're, they have trouble focusing anyway, and they're socially insecure and so on. And then you give them this thing. Yeah. They're checking it Every, I mean, it's a constant battle to to have them put their phones away, you know. And some teachers have, you know, just surrendered and said uh, one one strategy some teachers use is put your phone out, put it on your desk, face down, so you know. Then I can see when you know if you turn it, you know, if, if you flip it over, you grab it or you look at it or whatever. I mean, that's like <laughs> having an AA meeting in a bar or something. Like I mean, you, you've got these kids who are who absolutely want to and have to feel like they have to check their phones, and then you. <laughs> Have them sit it on their desk and just stare at it. Like, you know, they're not paying attention to you. So I was trying to have them keep it away, but you know, they constantly can't, you know, they can't have them, have them come out. And so they, yeah, they're, they're distracted. They, I mean, during tests, you know, there's, of course, there's the, the constant desire to cheat, but in terms of the distracted thing, there was a, I can't remember the, the teacher, the, the activity she did, I mean, went kind of viral in education circles. I don't know if anybody else saw it, but she, she had she taught eighth graders and she had a piece of newsprint on the board. She had everybody take out their phones. They were all eighth graders and they all had phones. And she said, I want everybody to turn on your notifications and turn the turn the volume up loud. And she said, For five minutes, let's see how many I'm gonna I'm just gonna make a tick mark every time we we hear a notification go off on somebody's phone. And after five, I mean it sounded, you know, it was ridiculous, it sounded like a pinball machine. And after five minutes, they had, I don't know, 180 or 300 or something. I don't know. It was in the hundreds. And so can you imagine for, and so you divide that by 30 kids and it was whatever, in five minutes, it averaged out to more than one a minute. I mean, can you imagine every year you've, you've got this brain that's still cooking and every, every, you know, 45 seconds, there's somebody, you know, kind of poking you on the shoulder saying, Hey, 
hey, look, look at this. They're, check this out. This is really funny. This is interesting. This is cool. You know, whatever. It, I, I can't imagine being a kid and try, just trying to get through the day. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how any of them are sane. I mean, maybe the question is how, 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 is, the, how is depression and anxiety and everything else as low as it is? Yeah, it should be higher. I mean, it's you're making me anxious just listen to your story. Exactly. Right? It, it, well, I did it once in class with my students, and it was the same. You know, it was the, the same result. And they they kind of laughed, and yeah, it gave me agita just listening to the the noises for five minutes. Yeah, and it's the anticipation too. So even when the device is present, even if it's not on or it's turned upside down, it's just that anticipation. So you right. you have the stress from worrying about what you're missing that could be happening in your friend world online that you're not being included. And so it does really go all back to this thought of being left out and not being included. And so by lunchtime, what happens to our student when they're at lunch? Uh, it used to be at lunch, you would feel you'd get a real dose of social activities because you would go sit and be included in your friend group, hopefully, hopefully they right. weren't going to not let you eat at their table today. <laughs> and right. you would get that dose of friendship, I guess, or, you know, that mm -hmm. mental health um, boost. So yep. how does it look today? Are you in the lunchroom with kids today? Um, I sometimes go down there, if, depending on what's uh, what the cafeteria yeah. <laughs> has. But the you know, if I forgot my lunch yeah. or whatever. And and I'll tell you what is was really disturbing was when we were we were back in school at the end of last year, and you know that we weren't you know we certainly didn't have everybody come back. They had these rules in the cafeteria where everybody had to be seated on seated on the same side of the table, and there had to be a space like you know nobody could sit next to anybody, and so on and so forth. And they were all facing the same direction. And the cafeteria was silent because, you know, and you, and, and walking through then it was really, it was tough to, tough to look at. It looked like some sort of dystopian yeah. scene where they're all, everybody's just sitting there with their head down and they're kind of absentmindedly eating their chips or sandwich or whatever. Nobody's saying anything to anybody because everybody's just staring at their phone. In a normal year, and, you know, it's kind of tough to remember what <laughs> normal was like, but, but in a, in a, in a regular year, which I'm hoping, you know, we're close to that this year. The cafeteria is not silent, but it's definitely quieter than it used to be. You know, and again, because you walk through and just see that there are a significant number of kids just looking at their phones. Now, there there are plenty of kids. I mean, and there are there are plenty of kids who will tell you, "Oh, I can't wait." You know, the some of the leadership kids and the, the marching band kids and the athletes and so on are are back this week. We're having a this is our teacher prep week, and so our students don't come till next week. But we have some students in the building, and there are hungry to get back here and they're hungry to see their friends and see their teachers and actually have some some face time. So yeah, you go down to the cafeteria and there's still groups of kids, of course, sitting and talking, laughing and, and so on. But uh, there's definitely been a change, you know, over the last six or eight years, probably. Well, let's go back to this whole topic of mental health in teenagers. We've already discussed that one of the risk factors is this awkward, strange, weird social thing that we are saying is social that's not really social. <laughs> it's yeah. this new definition of being social, which is giving our kids mental health problems. Another risk factor you mentioned is the lack of empathy that's not practiced. The inability to take these little risks, you know, because we're so scared of being wrong and kids are, their identity is so tied up right now in 
not being made fun of. So it's hard to step out of your box a little bit. Yeah. There, there's a couple more that just come to my mind on, on the risk factors, the mental health risk factors. And one of them I want you to talk about is the increase, the increased amount of stress that kids are under. Um, I think adults don't understand this. So talk about that just for a minute. Obviously, there's a lot of science behind the brain when the brain is, you know, on video games and the fight flight centers triggered and Mm -hmm. the adrenaline and the stress hormones that are flooding everywhere. So that's causing stress. But just the typical day now in school with with screens and even with academic screens, can you talk about that? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but can you talk a little bit about that stress level that's different from when we were in school? Well, a big part of it is students feel a tremendous amount of pressure. I mean, we all, I guess we all do. I mean, anybody who's involved in social media is you're, you know, part of, part of what you're doing there is, is evaluating yourself against other people. So if you're a, an insecure tween or teen or whatever, then you're, you're for sure going to be doing that. And that creates stress that you're not, you're not dressed right, or you, you didn't get a good enough grade, or you, who's your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. There's all, all of that. But, you know, I'm in the high school and I teach mostly seniors and the amount of stress that they, that they feel because of the whole college admissions process is, is staggering. And, it's funny, are very similar. I mean, they, you know, when I look, we're, we're in Virginia. So the, you know, the students who go to the University of Virginia, for example, are the pretty much the same students that were going 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And the students who are going to, you know, whatever, the next tier down, the, the, you know, it's the same group of kids and so on. But they will tell you because of what they see and what they, you know, people post that, oh, you know, the, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the dumbest one and I'm the, I'm the worst one. I'm not going to get into this school and that school and so on. And I, I will tell you this, that parents really exacerbate it because what parents do very often, and, and I'm in a, a relatively affluent area and many parents are on their social media platforms and their neighborhood pages and so on. And they are posting not only about the application process, where their kids go to school or are going to school or so on. They post where their kids are applying to school. Kids know that the reason that their their parents are making them apply to Harvard is not because they're going to get into Harvard, but just because the parent wants to post, oh, here's, you know, the, well, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to ask me, hey, so-and-so's applying to Harvard. You, you teach that kid. Is it, are they going to get into Harvard? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> and it's, it's for the parent, I, I can only assume anyway, it's for the parent to feel good about because you get a whole, co- whole bunch of comments. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I didn't know your kid was that smart or whatever. You must be a really great parent. Congratulations, you know, whatever. And, and the kid knows this is absurd. This is a waste of a hundred dollars. Like that, you know, I, the, you know, the kids know that they're not getting in and then, uh, but other kids know that they're applying. And so they think, well, maybe, wow, that kid must be really smart. And the, the college application list of schools now for kids typically goes like Ivy league, Ivy league, Duke, Stanford, and then two regular state schools, <laughs> you know, and they, and they know they're not getting into any of those other ones or, you know, many of them know, but they, but it's all for either they want to post that they're applying to these very elite schools or their parents want to post that they're 
uh, applying to these very elite schools. And that, oh, what can that do other than stress a kid out? The kid who's doing it, knowing that it's that it's all a bit of a farce, and also the other kids who see it, then you know, evaluate themselves against that. And none of that, of course, was around when you know I was in school or you were in school, and and so we didn't, you know, you just applied. I mean, I. I didn't know where my friends were applying. Like, we just—I mean, I guess you know, maybe my closest friends. We talked about it, but it just wasn't. You applied where you applied. Well, it's just way too much. It was way too much information. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is—I think you just answered the stress question. The stress yeah. problem is there's way too much information on all these different levels. It's like uh, nothing is private anymore, and that's stressful. Yes. You have to have a sense of privacy in your life in order to work through your bumps and your, and I think this is where all the suicide stuff is coming in. I, I don't think, I just don't think kids can handle it. I mean, it, right. it's not just suicide around my mom posted all the things I, you know, all my applications for college, but it's just this lack of privacy and all this transparency will make people have mental illness. Yes. And, you know, you, you said there that they, you know, they just, you don't think they can handle it. You're absolutely right. But we are, we're creating this generation of students, of young people who aren't able to deal with day-to-day regular stresses. And, and so everything becomes the worst thing that's ever happened. And it's this monster that, you know, they, they can never defeat. And so they have to self-medicate or whatever. You, there's all kinds of connections between drug use and everything else. But I, I want to say to the parents out there that Matt and I wrote in the book, we, we use the phrase that the, the phone has become a digital umbilical cord. And one of the things that we see happen, you know, you're, you're asking about what's happening, you know, during the school day. I just wanted to make sure to get to this point that during the school day, mom and dad are checking in constantly. And the kid is, is checking in constantly with mom and dad. And parents often say, well, I mean, they, you know, they have to have a phone, you know, for emergencies, they have to have a phone on them for emergencies. And even that doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, if there's an, an, an emergency, you call the school and they pull the kid out of class and they you know, say, you need to come down here, your mom's going to be here in five minutes or whatever. There really isn't much that needs to that needs to be communicated between parent and child during the school day, you know, because I'll ask kids, you know, when they, you know, they say, well, kid takes his phone. Out. Hey, really need you to put that away. Oh, no, it was just my mom. <laughs> well, what, what was mom texting about? Well, she wanted to know whether I wanted, you know, meatloaf or chicken for dinner or whatever. <laughs> These urgent, urgent questions. Right. OK. And so f- that does a couple of things. One of the things it does is takes a kid out of class for a second, like they because they, they're not really paying attention, obviously, if they're having to text mom about chicken or meatloaf or whatever. It's a distraction. But the other thing is it's the kid is never really able to be present in school and present with his or her own problems. And so what happens a lot now is kid has something happen during the day and it seems awful because they're a teenager and everything is everything is worse than it really is or it's better than it really is. It's just they have these outsized emotions. It's part of growing up. So they have these outsized emotions. Well, when you know you or I were in school, you had these outsized emotions. You kind of had the data process it. You got home, and if it was still bugging you or whatever, then maybe you talked about it with mom and dad. Well, what happens now is something happens. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's not. But immediately, you text mom or dad, and then mom or dad gets the the bat signal. You know, my baby's in trouble. 
And, you know, we all, of course, you know, want to take care of our, our kids and want to intervene for them. And so you then now you're on the warpath, you call the school and, and whatever else. And I've, there are plenty of times where a kid, you know, I'll, I'll hand back a test. A kid has failed the test. And, you know, by the end of class, I go, you know, between classes, that class leaves. And I'll go back to my computer. I've got three emails from parents because they immediately texted and so on. And we all want to help. There's, you know, of course we want to help our kids, but part of helping our kids is letting them, letting them fall down, letting them pick themselves up and realize that, you know, life's going to go on when somebody made fun of my shirt and and that was mean, but life's going to go on and life's going to go on when I did, I didn't do as well as I wanted to on this test. And, you know, because there are always things you can do to, to address that, right? I didn't do as well as I want on this test. Hey, Mr. Clement, let me come talk to you after class and we'll, you know, we'll figure out a a new way to study or I'll come in and get help right the day before the test or whatever, you know, we can always address things. Right. But when you've got your mom there to just constantly text her, then right. you're not addressing it. And I love, I love that you're bringing this up because our job as parents is to let our kids experience these little stresses right now so they can get to the bigger stresses later. If we constantly right. erase and fix the little stresses during their school day. We are hurting them. We are completely derailing them from their ability, you know, to do it, the bit to deal with the bigger stresses when they're older. And I remember so vividly with my boys when they were in middle school, they didn't have smartphones. And I loved the days that would happen when they would forget a uniform for sports, they would forget a lunch, they would forget a homework or something. I loved those days because I remember thinking, okay, they're going to have to figure this out because I'm not calling the school. I'm not bringing this to the school. I'm going to, you know, and then of course, you know, what would happen is at the end of the day, they'd come home and then they would just say, mom, you know, I forgot my whatever tennis shoes and I had to to go ask so-and-so and I had to borrow theirs. And then I found out, you know what, they don't live very far from us and we're getting together this weekend. I'm like, right. wow, that is so cool. I would love right. these stories of how they would solve their problems yep. without me. They even would have to go. I know it just sounds like I'm a terrible, mean mom. I am a mean mom. I'll go ahead and say <laughs> it. I would make them, you know, if they needed me for something or if baseball was going to get canceled, they had to go to the front office and call me like that. That I was the meanest mom ever, but because my kids did forget things, you know, not on a regular basis, but, you know, as much as any other kid, they really got to know the ladies in the front office. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved that, that they formed those relationships. So I love that you're bringing this up, that these little stresses are so important for our kids. You all, everybody needs to be hoping and praying for these little stresses to happen in their life and for us as parents not to erase them. Right. And it's so hard. I mean, I, 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 I listen, I'm, I, I'm certainly not perfect on this score, but you hear your kid in trouble, you hear your kid's upset, you you want to solve it. And one of the things I know with uh, Screen Strong, I know you've got the, the challenge where you encourage people to kind of unplug for a week. If you if you're listening and you and you know that maybe you, you do text your your kid during the school day, maybe try and make, make that a challenge. Say, all right, I'm going to go one week and I'm not going to, you know, and you can tell your, tell your kid, I'm not, I am not going to text you. I'm not available. <laughs> well, I'm not going to be available for one week, you know, on the phone or, or whatever. And just see if there's a, if there's a difference, because I suspect to go back to your question about stress, I think 
counterintuitively, maybe it, I think it adds to stress. If you know that you've always got to be on, there's this heightened sense of just, I have to be aware of everything because I know my friends are texting me. My mom's texting me. My dad's texting me. My teachers are talking and you know, I'm supposed to be addressing this and, oh yeah, I did. uh, I have to like that picture of that person's dinner from last night. And you know, all the, all of the inputs, all the, yeah, all the jobs they have to, to, to just get through the day. And if, you know, if we can remove one of those from them, maybe that, yeah. that uses their stress level a little bit. Well, and by trying to be the helicopter parent, you know, giving them the phone, which is what I think is, you know, no offense, honestly, to I'm not judging people out there, but I feel like phones really are the fuel for the helicopter parents out there. Yeah. Um, you know, but by not doing that, then you're causing them to relax a little bit more, to take more autonomy and to figure out things themselves. And and this just reminds me, recently I asked the boys, they are going into 11th grade, my boys are. And I just briefly said something about smartphone in college. And one of them said, I, I don't think I want a smartphone in college, mom, because I just really enjoy my freedom right now. <laughs> That's and a I great thought, way to wow, put it, wow. Wow. Because they don't have smartphones right now. And I thought, you know what? I, I would I would love not to have a smartphone myself for a while. Yeah. How free would I feel? I would right. be a lot less stressed. So I just want people to think about that. We we promote that concept and that option of just not giving your kids smartphones. Everything they need is on their computer. They don't need to carry their computer in their pocket twenty four hours a day. But let's wrap with this school day minute. So what happens when the student finishes school and they go home? And they're now at home and everybody is on their screen in separate rooms. Um, this obviously is not helping their mental health. One of the problems that they've got, and this is, this is the big problem, and I'm sure you, you've run into this, and I know a lot of parents out there have run into it. Uh, the argument my, my younger son used to give me, and, and man, I felt bad for him, was, Dad, everybody else is on their phone. Mm-hmm. Like the, the only way that I can contact anybody is with a phone. We had at that time a landline. Yeah. Well, you you can call them, and you know schedule dates to to come together and so on. And he said, "Well, and his the problem and again, I, I really I felt horrific for him. But you know, he said, "Well, everybody, you know, what they're doing is everybody's at their house, and they're all going to you know meet up, and that would that would be in in quotes meet up uh, because they're going to play." whatever, some video game where they're all, you know, they're all at home, but they're on like a, you know, yeah. sort of a, a group together playing, you know, and he can't do it if he doesn't have his phone or if he doesn't have a computer or, or whatever else. And it's, it is an uphill battle and a very difficult one to fight as a parent. And so what I would encourage parents to do, and this is a hard conversation to have because we've, we've started to have it with my daughter's peers, parents. Um, and again, she's seven years old to talk to people and say, Hey, can we agree when your kids come to our house, please don't send them with a with an iPad or with a phone or anything. But even more than that, if you can have the conversation that, hey, can we agree that maybe we're going to have there, there's going to be a little pocket in our neighborhood of four kids who you know who aren't going to have phones and they're not going to have iPads and they're, yeah. they're just gonna, they're going to get together and hang out or they're you know if they're younger they're going to go out and play or they're going to go do whatever. But they're they're not just not going to have phones and it becomes it becomes way easier yes. for both the parent and the kid if they feel like they're not alone and that's because it is tremendously terrifying for, well, for anybody, but especially for a kid to feel like they're just totally alone. 
nobody that's like me. I, I don't have, you know, I don't have a phone and therefore I'm the, I'm the outcast. Well, and in our screen strong material, that is a big, big part of what we promote is to form your own community. And it doesn't really right. take that many kids. And that's what I think is really important for people to understand that just two or three kids is all you need. You don't need a hundred kids to do right. this with you. Just a, just a handful, like you said. And as you were talking, I was thinking about my kids growing up without smartphones and going through school and, you know, going through high school without smartphones. And, and I'll just tell you what happens. They train their friends in a way they, they don't mean to train them, but their, their friends know that they're not going to be able to get them on social media. They're not going to be able to snap them. They're not going to be able to even do a group text. We don't do group text. They can text them. So what they know is when, when they're going to get together, they're going to come over to our house. And so what happens every single day that there's not a sport practice after school, we have kids over at our house. They, the boys have just, by nature of just not having the screens and the phones and the gaming and all that, I don't know, they, they've conditioned their friends <laughs> to yeah. just come over here. That's so right. it works. It works beautifully well. And the reason why it becomes such a popular thing, because ultimately, bringing us back to our original question about mental health, ultimately, kids want to be together in person. They do. They are craving that. And the whole thing about going home from school, and now you're going to get on your device, and you're going to be in this weird, I, I don't know, it's, it's not, you're not being social. Right. It's this odd thing that's happening. You're typing or you're messaging somebody, but you're, you, you keep trying to get your need met of your social need met and it's not being met. Correct. It, it's impossible to be social on a screen. You can pass information back and forth and you can maintain a few things, but you cannot build a social relationship right. on a screen. It's impossible. It's easier for adults. It's impossible for kids. Correct. So what I'm going to say is if you build it, they will come. So if yeah. you... If you take these, uh, you know, devices away for now, delay, hit that pause button, things will start changing in your house. They will find their ways to get together and they will get together in person. That will in turn meet their need for yeah. their mental health to be better. Yeah. And things just kind of work out. It just kind of works out, but it takes an initial phase. And since we never allowed phones, we never had to take the phones away. They never went down that path. Our boys were constantly doing things after school with their friends that would have to be planned a few days ahead of time. So they started doing that early. And guess what? That's what they still do today. That's awesome. Because they, they did it early. So we just chose to get off that merry-go-round and get in our backyard. And so it's very, very possible. I want people to really know that and to understand that. And Joe, I know that you support that too. Yeah. And there, there are, uh, there are a bunch of organizations that, you know, what, one of the really good things that's come out of, uh, out of this is that organizations like Screen Strong have, have sprung up that are dying to connect people and, and give people resources and strategies for living life in a, in a healthier way, in a more balanced way. And the, the issue that Matt and I are constantly fighting against in schools is that we're just so far out of balance. We're just, we've just gotten out of whack in terms of, you know, can, can a computer be a tool in a classroom? Yeah, it can. It can for sure. So can a pencil. So can chalk. 
you know, they they all are tools that you use when you need them. But we we've gotten I know in our school district and, and in a lot of districts nationwide, worldwide, really, it's not become a tool. It's the tool. We're just so far out of balance. And there are and luckily <clears throat> there's enough pushback that we've gotten some great organizations out there that are that have a ton of resources for anybody out there who wants to to find out what to do. Screen Strong is a, is a great starting point. And just to bring it back to center a little bit. So we're, we're going to get ready to wrap up here, but I know there's so many questions that are, are not answered and let's just try to answer a couple of them. What do you recommend and do you have any resources or even a sample letter or something that parents can write to their teachers or their administrators about, you know, my kid's really struggling in this area. Is there a way in your classroom that we can minimize screen use? Is it really, is that just not worth the battle or what is your opinion on that? Um, well, I mean, I think it's always worth, it's always worth the battle. I mean, you know, every, every movement starts with, uh, with, with a few people who are, are just going to continue to be annoying and, <laughs> and continue to continue to, to, uh, be the squeaky wheel. But the, the one uh, like policy proposal that Matt and I really push, and we can't believe that there's ever any pushback against it, but there is, is to, to advocate for, you know, especially in elementary schools, it's e- easier to do in elementary schools than it is in middle or high, but just ask for one classroom per grade level to be low tech or, and or, or, or no tech preferably, but, but at least low tech. One, just one per, per grade level. And some schools are, are small and, you know, only have one first grade class or only have one second grade class. And then you're in a challenge of trying to address each individual grade. But in, if you're in a school where you've got multiple first grades, multiple second grades, hey, you know, we, we're as a group of parents, we really want to ask for one classroom to just be low tech, no tech. The, the answer that you get from that is... If they're if they're going to disagree or they're going to they're going to disallow it is the, the answers are always nonsensical. There's no there's no way to say that that's a bad idea or it's something that they can't do or whatever. So that's you really I think kind of expose the fact that the emperor doesn't have any clothes when you if you ask for that and you and you get no right. and, and you don't get anywhere you can at least say well then I'm not talking to a reasonable person then <laughs> if we're right. not going to they got some blind spots that need to you know right it, yeah and and so in the middle and high school you know you can ask for it maybe like in middle schools a lot of times are teamed so maybe one team is the lower no tech or in high school it can be in the you know, maybe by department, one social studies teacher is going to be the low tech or whatever. I mean, you can, there are ways, there are ways to ask for common sense, reasonable accommodations. Speaking of accommodations specifically for kids, the kind of letter template that I recommend is in Victoria Dunkley's book. Reset your child's brain. Reset your child's brain. Thank you. Um, Yeah. She's got a great um, set of resources in there. Yeah, we've got some too that we're going to be putting in our Facebook group, our Strong Families Facebook group. Is it okay to just ask the school to work on policy around not allowing smartphones during the classroom? Yeah, I mean that's that is that is excellent pedagogy. Um, I think it's it's difficult. You know, most most schools we've found just kind of have thrown their hands up and said, "Well, the toothpaste out of the tube. We can't do anything about it." But another, I think, reasonable accommodation would be if a screen is going to be used in school, have it be a laptop 
um, not a tablet and not a phone, but a laptop specifically. And you can have, like we, we have in our district, this program where every kid from third grade on has a computer with them 24 hours a day. Uh, they take them home and so on. And that's it, insane. Like, you can have a, a cart of computers that's available in a classroom and then kids get them out and use them. And the, and the point is they use them for a specific intentional purpose and then they close them and put them away. And that's the end of that. And then they go on you know, about their day. When we start pretending like kids are going to use their cell phones for uh, – for good, for educational purposes. But I mean, we're really, you're, you're asking the impossible because they, again, we're talking about kids who aren't able really, most of them control themselves very well. And no, it's, it's all kids. It's all kids. It's, it's not, I mean, I randomly will talk to the parent that says, well, my kid's different. And you know, I smile and it's just not, I I don't know (laughs) what I say. I mean, it's there. The technology is too strong for your kids. So yeah. Everybody's kids. Well, and, and let me just throw in one more idea. I just remembered I talked to a teacher a couple years ago who'd been to one of our Screen Strong workshops, and she came up with a great idea. And I need to, I need to develop this a little bit more and, and put it out there. But she offered extra credit for kids who did not use their laptops or phones in their class, like literally were nowhere to be seen. And if you wanted to be that kid, then at the end of the quarter, you got extra credit. I thought that was really good. So that is pretty great. Yeah. And so incentivize it. Yeah. Incentivize it the other way, you know, give them a carrot not to use it. And then she just loved all the reports she got back from all, you know, how much interaction there was. And there was just more of a sense of calm in the classroom. And, yeah. you know, she couldn't force every kid to do it, but she gave extra credit to the ones who did. So I think that's always good to use that positive reinforcement. Absolutely. This has been fabulous. You've given us so much information and it's been really encouraging, even though it's a little bit depressing, but I think right. that we have, um, I think we have some really good, points that we can take away from this. So, but as we wrap up, can you just give us or give the parents out there that are listening? We, we have lots of moms and dads that are out there listening and, you know, this topic is kind of discouraging and many people have made mistakes just like me, you know, and we've gone down the wrong path and now we're trying to do the U-turn and we're trying to come back and, and take it away and try to recalibrate. But Give us some, maybe your final words of encouragement and your final tip or uh, call to action for parents. In terms of encouragement, the great thing about kids is they're kids and it's never too late. Absolutely, myself included. When we, you know, we screw up as parents, we, it's not like we can't undo things. And it's not even necessarily, you know, screwing up because, you know, your kids, you, you know, you, you have movie night every every Friday night or whatever. And, you know, it's not all screens are always bad all the time. Of course not, yeah. It's just, I think the word that I try and keep in my mind as much as possible is balance. And so rather than be, beat ourselves up and say, well, oh, okay, now I've got to go to, you know, I've got to smash all the screens that are in the house or, or whatever, we, we can just start reframing the way we're thinking about our, our screen use. And, and much in the way that we do with food, you know, we just, you know, when we have an unhealthy relationship with food, we just try and, and find some balance. And if we're never exercising, it's not that you have to go out and exercise, you know, three hours every single day. It's just, you got to find a little more balance and find a little more time for it. The same is true with kids and screens. We have to just find a way to, to strike the you know, the correct balance. And if the, if the goal is 
I want to be able to communicate with my kid, we can find some balance around that. One of the resources in uh, ScreenStrong on the website is the, I've forgotten the name of the phone. Oh, the Gab phone. Looks just like a regular old smartphone. Yeah. So the kid's not embarrassed because I, I, that was the phone that I gave my my kids was this, you know, this little burner yeah. cell phone that didn't, you know, it looked, you know, it was obviously a, a little toy of a phone. Right. And, and they, they, they'd rather not carry it, which was okay well, with me, actually. But, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah right. <laughs> so, but that was their choice. There, you know, it's become so ubiquitous that so, so then you have this phone that looks like a regular phone that every other kid has. And it's, it enables the kid to, you know, stay in contact with friends or whatever. But Don't have you know, there are little things you can do to, to kind of just achieve more of that balance. And I think that's the that's the key. We're, you know, we're in a world where this is obviously an issue for, for adults and for kids. And I think all we've we really just got to focus on the, the, the common sense and the, the reasonable use. Well, and I think that to touch on that, the Screen Strong philosophy is that we help parents discover that useful use of screens, but get rid of the toxic use. So right. that's the balance. Because we certainly don't want to balance toxic screens. You know, we don't want to balance no. pornography, for example. But we right. do want to balance, you know, we, we're not going to get kids that are addicted to their Excel spreadsheets, you know. So these good uses of right. screens <laughs> right. we can keep. But then we're going to get rid of the toxic use. And the toxic right. use, unfortunately, are the uses are the platforms that they want the most, which is right. the video games that are hurting their development and, and social media that's hurting their development and causing yep. these mental health issues. So that's where that's where we strike the balance. We strike the balance in keeping the technology as a tool, getting rid of the bad parts of it, and realizing that childhood is really, really short and it's a very important window of potential for our kids and for our relationships with them and also for their mental health. So what, well, let's, let's just conclude then with your thoughts on what to tell a parent who is struggling probably with, you know, some mental health issues with their kids or they're seeing some signs. I mean, I, I think sometimes people say, well, I can't take their phone away, even though their phone is causing them the most mental health problems, you know, this year. Uh, I can't right. take it away because they'll kill themselves or, right. you know, they'll threaten things. What do you tell to a parent? What do you say to a parent? Well, first thing, obviously, if, if you know, anybody is concerned, parent, kid, whatever, about um, mental health, then, then it's time to bring in a mental health professional. Like this isn't, that's not to be toyed with. And especially if anybody is talking about harming themselves, that's a, sure. that's a, obviously a, a major alarm. Yeah, you hear parents a lot say, "Well, I can't, I, there's no way I could take my my kid's phone away." I, I would encourage parents to read first of all, inform yourself because what you find is that that's that's not true. It's it seems like an insurmountable battle to take a phone away, but when you read what happens when parents do that, it's remarkable. And and pretty much every story I've ever read it goes the same way. The first day was miserable. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is literally like detoxing from heroin or whatever. Like the first day was terrible and there was, you know, there was a temper tantrum depending on how old the kid is or whatever, you know, and then it got a little better. And then pretty soon they were going outside and then they were, you know, interacting with their brother or sister more and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, two weeks later, you know, I've got my kid back and, and and if you're if you're really genuinely concerned about a, a child harming him or herself, then, then obviously you need sure. there, there needs to be some some therapy involved. But there are there are the good news in that on that score is there are plenty of 
mental health professionals who now specialize in this exact thing. It's no longer a, a niche. It's a, it's, it is a, probably from the last few psychiatrists and psychologists that we've interviewed, it's the thing. Yeah. Um, when, when they're seeing particularly tweens and teens, even if it's not an addiction question, it, it always comes up in therapy. So there are a lot of people that are willing to help and are ready to help. And it can be done for sure. Well, I love what you said, that it, it really is possible to take it away, even though it seems impossible. Seems impossible. Yeah. And, and so at Screen Strong, we do have resources to help you get started on that journey to do that. And also, if you're interested in having um, a Screen Strong presence in your school, you can be a rep in your school. We're, we've got something started this year with the Screen Strong reps in different grades. And, you know, Joe, what we're doing is focusing on social activities because we know that is the anecdote. That is right. the safeguard to mental health problems is to increase awesome. in-person social time. So thank you so much for adding so much um, value to our hour here. You've just really in just given us so much to think about. Well, thank you. This has been great. For those of y'all listening again, the book Screen School is our book of the month. So go into our Facebook group and have some conversations about that. And in that group, you can post any question that you have if you're struggling with anything or just need to ask another parent how to do something or how to do the detox. Um, you can go in there and there will be lots of wonderful help. So again, thank you so much, Joe, for coming today. Thank you again for having me. It was fun. I hope that you all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and head over to our website to donate and learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge that we talked about today and to get your kids back on track. Make sure to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you will find support from other parents just like you. Remember, we've got your back. And we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.